0: Hello, fellow rebel capitals. Hope you're well. So breaking news, you will not believe what just happened to the United States national debt. Let's go right over to CNBC and check this out. Or maybe I should have said you will absolutely believe what just happened to the United States. (laughs) I didn't even think about that one. U.S. national debt hits $33 trillion for the first Time. I would hope so. <laughs> this is the first time. Key talking points. National debt of the United States reached a historic milestone. And that's not one to be proud of. By passing $33 trillion for the first time, the US Department Treasury said level was reached less than two weeks before the federal government. And you know, I read an article, I think it was last night, and Josh maybe looked this up while we're talking. That the debt has gone up by $1 trillion, wait for it, in the last three months. Now, I know for sure, because I just talked about it on a whiteboard video that I did this morning that's coming out tomorrow night. I know for sure that since the beginning of the Cervasus sickness, the debt has gone up by almost $10 trillion, which is a 50% increase in three years. Three years, for heaven's sakes. Let that sink in for a moment. But if I'm not mistaken, the debt has also gone up by $1 trillion just over the last three months. I mean, these are staggering, staggering numbers. And, you know, Jeff Gunlock is right. I think that uh, it's only going to w- get worse, although I have a different view on him on the dollar relative to other foreign currencies, the dollar relative to goods and services, I agree. But getting back to the talking points here, the issue of debt is at the center of the standstill of Congress over spending bill that would sustain the government until next funding cycle. I don't even know why we really, are we in another debt ceiling type debate? It's just, why do we even bring this up? It's just so ridiculous. It's just, it's political theater is all this is, but some of the more specific and Startling details here. So it hit thirty-three point zero four trillion Monday. Roughly fifty percent increase in federal spending between fiscal two thousand nineteen and fiscal twenty twenty one contributed to the debt topping thirty-three trillion. Of course, the politicians, the Democrats, are blaming this on tax cuts. Uh, I mean, maybe they have something there, but I think th- th- this would imply that tax rates especially the highest marginal rate, has something to do with tax revenue. Uh, not really. There's some correlations there, but it's almost like a coin toss. What you see a direct correlation with tax revenue as a percent of GDP is actually asset prices. So what I would assume is that this is, these uh, collection of taxes that they're doing, probably from last year, where a lot of people took a hit on capital gains because of the tax their tax port, or excuse me, their stock portfolio. Now, I know it's up recently and whatnot, but they might not be seeing that tax revenue until next year. So the point is, I think there's a stronger correlation to asset prices and tax revenue as a percent of GDP than there is just the overall rate. And I would back that up by looking at a chart of tax revenue to GDP going back to the 1940s. And you see that the highest marginal rate has almost nothing to do with the amount of taxes that are received by the government. But getting back to the article, so Republicans are pushing back with less spending. They look at the Inflation Reduction Act, which is estimated to cost more than a trillion over the next decade. Uh, So a lot of government deficit spending for these acts that are being pushed through, ironically, to cut the rate of consumer price increases. I think that's absolutely hilarious, isn't it? But here's what I want to go over, because you guys, I think you pretty much know the story. You've heard about this over and over and over again on several other videos. I'm not the first person to cover this topic, although um, I may be one of the first to reveal that it's over 33000000000000 trillion. Let's get into the nuance. I think that's one of the reasons why you guys follow this channel, and it's definitely one of the reasons you follow the George Gammon channel if you like my whiteboards. So let's go over to just something I drew on the whiteboard just five minutes ago. Just did it 30 seconds it just took me 30 seconds. And I think this is something that most people really miss. So you guys often hear me talk about the nuance with quantitative easing, and that if the Federal Reserve buys a treasury from a bank entity, it has no impact on M2. If it buys it from a non-bank entity, then it can increase M2 money supply. And that's a a very important distinction, because people just look at the Fed's balance sheet, and they say, oh, money printer go burr, that's going to impact M2. Not necessarily. So, And why does that matter? Because if you get that wrong, then you're going to assess the probabilities of inflation, disinflation, deflation, the dollar, gold, all these things. You're going you're gonna to predict the outcome of those events inaccurately without all of the pertinent information that you need to actually make an educated decision. So another part of the whole nuance pie that I like to get into is let's assume that M2 money supply is going up as a result of the Fed buying a treasury from a non-bank entity. It is. How does this impact inflation? There are more currency units available to chase goods and services. But is there more purchasing power? You see, because what the Fed is doing is they, or what the individual is doing, is they've got savings in their account that they're really not touching, that's not out there revolve. It's not part of the velocity, hence why it's in their savings account. And they're saying, okay, Fed, I'll trade you that for a treasury. So their balance sheet doesn't change at all. And they've still got a cash equivalent of savings. So even though M2 went up, should we expect the same rate of inflation? I would argue, no. Now, if the government is spending to where, let's just take the Fed out of the equation to where they're taking money out of savings and spending it on stimmies, so the money's going from savings to checking, even though M2 isn't increasing, I would argue velocity likely will. And I think that would impact inflation. So my point there is, in one circumstance, when you get into the nuance, you see how even if M2 money supply is not increasing, it could be a tailwind to consumer price inflation, where on the other hand, if M2 is going up, it, it might not have any impact at all. And unless you understand the plumbing, you're just going to assume that M2 the same, therefore no impact, or you're going to assume that M2 up, big impact. And the opposite would be true. So let's go to this little sketch that I just drew up on the whiteboard. And you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. And this pertains specifically to the opposite side of the coin. So instead of uh, QE not really impacting the overall balance sheet, And therefore, it might not be inflationary inflationary as we would think. If there's no QE or you could even have QT, as long as there's certain dynamics in place, it could increase the aggregate balance sheet, therefore purchasing power of all the non-bank entities. And it could very well be inflationary. Let me show you what I mean here. So hopefully you guys, Josh, can you see my arrow? Yes. Okay. So we start off in this top section with the government and average Joe and Jane. We got business XYZ. So this is just deficit spending. So the government's going to issue treasuries uh, or even taxation. Same exact thing. It doesn't impact M2. Why? Because they're taking money out of the private sector. That's going to the government. And then the government is spending the exact same money back into the private sector. So on net balance, no change to M2. So most people, that, they would see this and say, okay, well, we're probably not going to have inflation but they could be wrong because they're not getting into the nuance. Now let's go down below and let's add a layer of detail. So we've got the same average Joe, we've got the same business XYZ and the government, let's say, is taxing them. So, or in this case, uh, I'm sorry, let's say that it's deficit spending. So they're taking that money out of the economy and the individual or entity in the economy is buying a treasury. So the money comes out of the economy and just like the top example, the money goes right back in. So even with deficit spending, there is no change to M2. But what has happened to the aggregate balance sheet? This is that level of detail that I'm referring to. Right here, over my arrow, I'm just throwing up the aggregate balance sheet to begin with. On the asset side, we have $1. That dollar, like we said, goes to the government, and the government spends that right back into the economy. So when we look at the second balance sheet on the right, it still has that dollar, but now it has an additional treasury. So the aggregate balance sheet has increased, even though... M2 is the same. I would further argue that this dollar that came off the asset side of the balance sheet to begin with was in savings, like we said earlier. And when the government spent it back into the economy, it's taking it from savings into checking. And there's gonna be a higher rate of velocity with checking than savings. Therefore, your velocity increases. Again, even though M2 is the same. Now, why do I say the purchasing power has increased? Because as you guys know, from watching my videos, and Snyder talks about this all the time, and so do, uh, well, I was going to say so do a lot of YouTubers, but they actually don't. Uh, very few people actually talk about this, but <laughs> most of the rebel capitalists know this from, uh, from watching these types of videos, let's say, where the, the person who, or the entity that's most likely holding this treasury is going to be a hedge fund, pension fund, something like that. A non-bank entity, fine, but they're going to be some sort of large pool of money. Why that's important is because, effectively, this treasury's cash. They don't even have to sell it. They can just use a collateral repo and instantly get the cash. And if there's no constraint on the balance sheet of the banking system, which I don't think there is, then this treasury is a cash equivalent. And so that's why this is a big deal to purchasing power and why I think we really need to look into the aggregate balance sheet in addition to m two. And, and why, quite frankly, the aggregate balance sheet might be even more important than M2. So the point here, coming back to the national debt being at $33 trillion, is even if this is in a time when the Fed is not increasing their balance sheet, and they're actually decreasing their balance sheet. So you could say, well, yeah, fine, but it's not, coming, it's not increasing M2 because all of those dollars, regardless of whether they're being uh, taken out through taxation or they're being taken out because Janet Yellen is selling treasuries, it's coming out of the real economy and going right back in. But again, that argument is flawed. And this is why it's flawed, because they're not looking at the aggregate balance sheet that has increased and velocity is most likely increased at the exact same time, which would definitely be inflationary. On net balance, does that mean prices go up? I don't know. But it would definitely be a tailwind to consumer price inflation when most people wouldn't even, they're not even cognizant of this dynamic. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market, capitalism. And if you wanna see more of the most important recent videos and news stories that we've discussed right here on this channel, Josh, will put them in a playlist right here. We'll see you on the next video.